Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Can I kick it? 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 Well, I'm gone. Can I kick it? Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the first three seasons of Ozark, and we'll actually begin the conversation of talking about the most recent season of Ozark. If you are a fan of the show, you've probably noticed that the first half of this final season, this will be the final season, by the way, has dropped on Netflix. I'm going to talk about my relationship with the show. I quit it early on after being a big fan. I dropped off, and then I've come back to it now, mostly for this conversation and also because Sona's a big fan. And Sona has huge begun. fan, <laughs> huge fan there, <laughs> and uh, and I do have my criticisms, but but I'll save those for later. But I did enjoy uh, watching the most recent season, and we'll be speaking about seasons one through three, and just the first couple episodes of season four. You may have already binged the whole season four, the first half of season four, what's available, but we're only going to start talking about like where we think things are going based on those first couple episodes. But we will finish, giving you all enough time to finish that first half of the season. We will be discussing the totality of those seven episodes in next week's episode in the same slot next week. Also, starting with the next episode, that means Sona and I do together, dropping this upcoming Friday is a show called The After Party on Apple Plus. So we'll be talking about how you can watch the show on Apple Plus, as well as some background on the show. Pretty interesting pedigree, and uh, and it, it really dovetails well with our comedy mystery theme that we've had here, based on our coverage of Only Murders in the Building. We have another murder mystery slash comedy, and by the way, there are actually uh, several of these murder mystery slash comedies coming up in the next months. So it might be something that we dip into some of these other shows as well along the way. So with all of that out of the way, let's start off with the after party. Do you know anything about the show, <laughs> by the way? <laughs> Just the genre. Not much else besides that, though. These guys have such an incredible track record. So this is a writing and producing team who are Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, more famously known as Lord and Miller. And they've had such an interesting career. I don't know exactly how they started off and how they started this partnership, but... They actually have been a writing team for quite some time, and they were executive producers and wrote a bunch of How I Met Your Mother episodes back in <laughs> 2005, 2006, which I know you were a fan of that show. Yes, very big fan of that show. I think it is a, it's an example of really creative storytelling in a sitcom format that you don't see that often. And maybe that's a good segue into what might happen with this show as well. And I'll tell you why I am such a big fans of them is that they have remix these genres really successfully throughout their career. So the first thing you could track down if you're curious is a very good animated series. It's available on Paramount Plus. I believe it was on Cartoon Network and that's how it ended up on Paramount Plus now. It's like a science experiment where they take famous historical figures and clone them. But now they're all high school age. So like Cleopatra is dating Abraham Lincoln in school and they're all hiding their true identities. And they have all this like kind of drama between these characters. So it's very clever. There's only one season of it. It didn't last very long. And, I've uh, heard of it, though, but I yeah. never really understood the premise. That is super clever. Yeah. And it's very funny to see these characters. It's very easy to binge this show. Like I said, it only lasted one season and their episodes are 20 minutes long. And from there, they got producing and writing jobs on How I Met Your Mother, which, of course, was very successful for them. And then uh, they made a terrible 
movie called Extreme Movie, which was like one of these spoof movies mm-hmm. that, that kind of emerged. But this was like all disaster movies. And it was not very good, but that didn't hurt them from getting their first big success, which was they took the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs book and turned it into a very successful movie. And from there, they got the 21 Jump Street reboot, which is very clever reboot of that franchise. That is a really fun movie, yeah. And from there, they got the Lego movie, which was hugely successful. And then, of course, they made the 22 Jump Street film, the, the, the sequel. And then they were supposed to make the solo the hand solo movie they got fired from that famously and replaced with ron howard but that was just a small ding for them because they then met went and made the spider-man into the spider-verse movie which is incredibly good and uh, won an academy award and everything else so like they've at the peak of their powers there oh and in the midst of all this i forgot to mention that they also wrote a sitcom another one of these very strange premises for a sitcom but a very funny show that got canceled unfortunately a little too early which was the last man on earth did you ever watch that i haven't watched that this is very funny too by the way and it's available on hulu and uh it's with will forte and uh, the premise is basically that he thinks he's the only survivor on earth so he basically spends his time eating junk food and a loser. So this is like perfect for him. He lives inside of a giant mansion and he discovers over time that he's not the last man on earth. So then all of a sudden, <laughs> even though he's like one of the very few last men on earth, he still is kind of a loser and he's like having problems with his dating life. And it's very entertaining. And like, once again, taking a very high concept and finding a lot of rich um, material inside of it. I, I'd say that their brand is they take something that shouldn't be that good and they make it very good. <laughs> <laughs> And to that end, they now have this show, The After Party, which has af- actually uh, Miller wrote 10 years ago. So 10 years have been trying to get the show off the ground. Originally, it was supposed to be a movie, and now it's turned into a TV show. And it uh, has an all-star cast. I'll get into the cast in just a minute. But the premise of the show is that during a class reunion, these folks are getting together for their, I don't know if it's their 10th or 20th class reunion, based on the age, maybe 20th. Over the course of the night, somebody is murdered and the police come and start to investigate the murder and they question all of these different folks that we've gotten to know over the course of the show. And each episode is in a completely different genre. So for example, one of the episodes is a rom-com because the character who's telling us the narrative of the night sees this as this potentially like a rekindling of a romance. Another episode is an action movie. Another episode is a horror movie. So each episode, different character, completely different genre, different style, even in the look of the show. So very entertaining concept, I think, for me. And the reviews have just started coming in, and they are very good. So I'm very excited for this one. How does that all sound to you? That sounds super interesting. Do they tell you which genre it's going to be ahead of time, or is that something you figure out as you watch it? I don't know. That's actually a good point. fun to figure that out as you're going along yeah i would assume that they're going to spring it on you basically in the course of the show and i would guess this is a total guess on my part that they'll make it abundantly clear like that the romantic comedy will probably have a very different style like right off the bat so it clues right. into what to expect over the course of the episode it could be interesting though to surprise us with the genre too over the course of the episode but i, I honestly don't know and I, i'm really curious to see how it's all going to play out <clears throat> so like i mentioned that is coming this friday about apple plus anything that's on their agenda drops on friday mornings so it's not some are on mondays some are on tuesdays like hbo has specific days where episodes drop etc this is purely everything drops <laughs> on friday so they're all available on friday so the first episode will be available this friday 
I think the first two episodes, possibly. I could be wrong about that, but maybe the first two episodes. And I think it's just a 30-minute show, so pretty easy to consume. And that's going to be our primary focus. I assume, given the fact that this genre is like it's funny and it's and it's short, that we'll probably be covering other topics along the way as well. And I do think I have some possible shows on Apple, by the way, to keep the theme to keep it simple. Let's say for everybody, I think there's some very interesting shows coming up on Apple. Just so you you know, if anyone's unaware, Apple you know launched a couple of years ago with their Apple uh, Plus. And they've only really had two breakout hits. One is The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and um, Reese Witherspoon, which uh, has been very popular. And of course, Ted Lasso, which has probably been their biggest breakout. But maybe even The Morning Show might even be more popular, honestly. But I think everything else on the network is not that popular. But they have a huge, <laughs> it's true, but I think that they have a huge slate of really interesting shows coming out. There is a thriller comedy directed by... Ben Stiller starting next uh, month called Severance, in which there's some technology that allows you to have a true work-life balance where you're basically, you have two minds. Like when you go to work, you're one person. When you go home, you have another person. And this technology literally keeps those two people separate from each other. And then something goes wrong and somebody's able to see both sides of their lives. And it's all the conflicts that occur <laughs> when they're made aware of what they're doing at work versus what they're doing at home. And that's uh, coming next month. And that in and of itself sounds like a very interesting project. And we'll see what the early word of mouth is on that. Maybe we'll cover it briefly here as well if we have time. But that's just one of many shows. They have dozens of shows coming this year. So it might be worth the investment in Apple Plus, which is only 4 or $5 a month, I think. It's relatively cheap considering. But I want to talk about how can you watch Apple Plus? Okay. I'm sure you're curious about this too, Sona. Sona does not have Apple Plus. <laughs> so she's curious about how she can watch the show. <laughs> yeah. It's trying to make a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many of you already do. Like I said, Ted Lasso was actually incredibly uh, um, popular. When the finale came, it was one of the 10 most watched shows of that month when the show was on the air. So obviously people have Apple Plus because, you know, it's got to make the top 10 somehow. Someone's got to be watching it. So people have Apple Plus. Obviously, if you have it, you can, you know, skip the rest of this conversation. Or you know what? Don't skip this rest of this conversation because maybe I can still save you some money. <laughs> so number one, how can you watch Apple Plus? Did you get a new Apple device at Christmas time? Do you have a new iPhone, a new iPad, a new Apple TV, any of those? If you did, you can activate your free three months of Apple. And of course, I would recommend wait until the second episode of the after party, by the way, because if you don't have, if you have an Apple device, but you do not have Apple TV, you can watch the first episode of every Apple show for free on your Apple devices. And honestly, sometimes you can watch a whole season of the show, not the after party because it's new, but some of the older shows. So if you do want to sample them, you can watch it for free right now. So that's the first thing. As long as you have an Apple device, you have access to a lot of these episodes. Second of all, if you have a new Apple device, you can, of course, get this for free for three months. And like I said, I would wait until the second week of the show because maximize <laughs> your, the amount of time you have to watch these shows. That's the second way to watch it. The third way to watch it is if someone in your extended family, if a f- friend or relative has bought a new Apple device, they can share their Apple subscription with you. You can actually go into family sharing. And it doesn't matter whether you're a family member or not, you can actually add five different people to share your account with. So if anybody has Apple Plus, they can share it with you through the app or through the family sharing. So if you know somebody who has it, the next way you can share it, by the way, is having a watch party. Because now in FaceTime, they just rolled this out just a few weeks ago, by the way, 
but you can launch your FaceTime call and you'll notice in the lower left, I believe it is, you now have an option to share. And when you click on the share button, you can share your desktop or you can share Apple Plus. So you can literally start watching your show if somebody has this and have a little watch party. Everybody can join in and watch the show together if they want to. So that's another way you can watch the show. The last one, and this is the one I would recommend for people who already have Apple Plus. Uh, this is why I told you to stick around. The last option is there is Apple One, I believe it's called, and it's a group subscription. And the reason I mentioned this is that if you have a family subscription to Apple One, which includes Apple Plus, and it includes a terabyte of storage. So if you're paying for storage, for example, me and my wife are both separately paying for storage on our devices because we've exceeded our limits. So we're paying like $2 each, let's say. But if you wanted to, let's say you and your family members, the kids also have iPads and MacBooks that are paying for storage, you can get all the storage you need, plus an Apple Plus subscription, plus other Apple services as well for $14.99 a month. So my point is for the amount of money you're paying for storage, and let's say you have, for example, Apple Music, right? So if you're paying $5 a month for Apple Music and a family plan for Apple Music is like $9 and you're paying for storage, like 99 cents per device or $1.99 per device, depending on how much storage you need, you might be paying $17, $18. And the reality is that between Apple Music and all the storage you're paying for, and now with Apple Plus for free, the Apple TV Plus for free, you pay $14.99 a month. So you can actually spend less money and then get Apple TV Plus for free. So that's my penny saver <laughs> plan for you. Do you pay for storage, by the way, Sona? Of course I do. Yeah. So that's why I was thinking that. You, I don't think jokes. you can yeah. have a kid and not pay for storage, right? Because <laughs> right. Exactly. On all the numerous photographs, videos, everything else, it takes up a lot of space. And I, at least speaking for myself, I'm way too sentimental to delete anything. And I'm way too lazy to go through the work of uploading it someplace else. And I think you're not alone. So to that point, if you on your iPad and on your other devices and with your mom, let's say that if you're paying for collectively nine or $10 for storage, and let's say that you don't have, you're not paying for Spotify or some other music service. So you're like, I'm going to pay for Apple music for $5 a month. Then at this point, you're at $16. You can just pay $14 and get Apple mm -hmm. Plus as well for free. <laughs> so it's, so that's another option. So basically, and I would guarantee this is something I've done even with my own assessment of what we pay that I guarantee that if you look at, if you pay, for example, for Beachbody or some other fitness um, service and you pay for storage on your devices, which everybody has to pay at this point, like Sona mentioned. And uh, if you're paying for music, if you have a music service like Spotify, let's say, and you aggregate those costs, they want to put it all in under the Apple umbrella. I guarantee you, you save money by paying that to subscription, that family subscription. So that is my suggestion for everybody. <laughs> and hopefully I save you some money, even if you decide to not watch the show. <laughs> so with that out of the way, after party starting this Friday, and we'll probably be dropping episodes on Sunday or Monday, <clears throat> going through those. And we'll pick some other topic to cover along the way. I'm sure there will be thrillers and other content we'll be watching along the way to flesh out those episodes. Let's pivot to a conversation about a different thriller, very different. I'm sure there is some comedy in this show, but... Very little comedy in the show, actually. But uh, let's talk about Ozark on Netflix. Sona, you love this show. I will tell you my experience of it, but I'll tell you after. Let me get your your read on the show beforehand. Full disclosure, the real, true, compelling thing to me about watching this show is Jason Bateman. Mm -hmm. 
who I just find so watchable in everything he does. I just think he is really likable, really charismatic, really charming. And there probably isn't anything that I would not watch Jason Bateman in. <laughs> Put in a, a slot in a different leading actor, and I'm not sure if I would still be watching this show. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing, right? So it's not that I'm saying this show is so super brilliant and so amazing. It is really that I just find him so likable and mm -hmm. probably nostalgia things. We grew up together, me and Jason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Silver spoons. Silver spoons. Yeah. And I've, um, my husband and I were discussing, there was a very short-lived sitcom called It's Your Move. Oh my God. I love that show. That yes. Yep. So there's a lot probably intangible going on in why <laughs> I am so fond. He's family. He's family. Yeah. And then he disappeared for a while and you didn't really think about him for a good chunk of time. And then all of a sudden he was back. So yeah, I just, I really enjoy that aspect possibly more than anything, but I, I do think it's a great premise. The show starts off like really immediately from the first episode. Mm -hmm. You just jump into this mess that they have created in like the first five minutes of the show or maybe 15, but it's very, it keeps things moving. There's very little dead time in this show. I, I know we're just starting the fourth season now, which in some ways compared to other shows isn't a lot. I do think most television shows run longer than they need to. This is a long way of saying usually when there is a show that I really like, even though I really like it, I can say, but you could skip this one season altogether. It just doesn't matter. I felt that way about the Americans, which I love to death. I think the Americans is one of the best TV series ever made. But still, there was a season that you could have skipped altogether and lost nothing. But here, I feel like they just really, they keep it going. They keep it moving. There's a lot of plot development. And so that does keep me interested. I think Laura Linney is an amazing actress. I watched her in that show. I think it was on Showtime called The Big C, which was really compelling. Uh, I think she's amazing. And I think her character development here from you know, a spouse who's getting carried along with things to fully participating even to a greater extent than Jason Bateman's character, uh, Marty's character. Wendy is the one keeping it going at this point. I think Marty would have been out a long time ago had he seen an opening. And that is interesting, that role reversal type of thing. I think it's really interesting that they didn't do what I think most shows would do, it would be very easy to do, of keeping the kids in the dark and all of the machinations in hiding all of this dark stuff from their kids. And so they just come out with it right away and tell them what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that opens uh, the door to a lot of other storylines. The fact that their kids know this really awful screwed up thing and are participating in it. So yeah, there's a lot for me that makes this show likable and easy to watch. Yeah, so to reiterate a couple of things you mentioned already. <clears throat> first of all, I completely agree that on all the reasons you say the show is most compelling. So my experience with the show was that I watched, and I don't know why I only watched the first two episodes, the first three episodes. I guess it was available to binge, but in my mind, it wasn't available to binge because I could have sworn I saw maybe previews on Netflix. This could all be wrong, by the way, <laughs> but that I had seen <laughs> the first two or three episodes and I was literally telling everybody, and I might've been told you at the time, but I told everybody, you guys have to watch this show. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to be able to sustain this, but this is like the entire first season or more of Breaking Bad 
in the first two or three episodes. Like by the time they like are off to the Ozarks, there's that scene I remember it's distinctly that there's a drone shot and they're playing Radiohead. Of course, you always have to play Radiohead when, <laughs> when you want something <laughs> ominous on the soundtrack. <laughs> is uh, on the soundtrack as they are like embracing this new life. And I think that was maybe the end of the first three episodes. And I really feel like that's all I could watch or something. So I don't know. Like I said, maybe this is all wrong in my head. And I could have binged it all. I just wasn't. Pay, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I did binge it all because Netflix does tend to just yeah. upload the whole thing at once. So. It doesn't make sense that they yeah. would have it. Recently, they've started to do these like splitting half seasons like they did Money Heist. And now they're doing this one, I guess, to, you know, extend. They're trying to do what HBO does so well, which is like build buzz. So they're <laughs> saying they drop half the season and they'll be like, Two, well, the next one's coming. Yeah. Right. And then they'll be like, we don't know when the next one's coming. And then they surprise you with it great more buzz again i think they're trying to put the difference between their binge mo model and uh, these other styles but anyway i really like those first few episodes and i was the biggest evangelist i told everybody i got everybody to watch that show but by the end of the first season i was like i'm exhausted by this show so i really dropped off i casually watched season two i barely remember watching it i don't even think i made it all the way to the very end i think i made it three quarters of the way through and then when season three came around people were saying to your point actually they were saying you can skip season two if you want to and just get up on season three because season three was so much better but i haven't actually caught up on season three until very recently for this pretty much for this conversation and uh, and i did like season three more but i still have a lot of the same caveats but here's what i would say in this kind of recent binge of the show first of all like you said uh, the reason i'm back by the way on this show is because i know this is the final season to your to so to your right. point of overstaying that welcome i think if this was just another season and then there would be infinitely more i don't think i would have been bothered but to I see, yeah you know, i get that point of view because it's so exhausting and it's plotting so i'm like but if they're really going to wrap things up okay well then i'm in right how much longer is this a few more episodes i'll watch right? exactly i totally agree and then the other two points i wanted to reiterate with what you said absolutely is bateman i think he's a very talented director he directed the pilot and the first few episodes of the first season i don't know how many more he's directed along the way but it's very important that really when you direct the pilot of a show you are defining the look and feel and cast of the rest of the show so it's incredibly important and i think he did a great job in directing i think that was the first time he was directing something big other than like an arrested development episode here and there i think that's the first time he directed that but he's also become a really good director he directed the gift which i think is great mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and uh, he also directed the first two episodes of that show he did on hbo the outsider the H stephen king adaptation which uh, that show wasn't great the novel's not great either although i know it's very popular but uh, i wasn't a huge fan of the, the novel or the show but those first couple episodes that he directed are great, and he gives a great performance in there as well. So to your point, big fan of Bateman. Like you said, I, I could pretty much watch him in anything. And lastly is Linny. It's very hard to play this wife role, and unlike the Skylar role in Breaking Bad, she's in it from the very beginning. So they really make her like a, to make a corollary to something I just mentioned last week, she's very much a Lady Macbeth, in some ways worse than he is by this point in the show. But... I think she does a great job of defining her character in a believable way. So that's another thing I really want to say is that I think the characters are really well defined on the show. As ridiculous as the plot often gets, the characters are never ridiculous. You understand exactly what they want and why they're behaving the way they do. And she has her really messed up psychology, but she wants to 
have this perfect life. And she's not going to accept the fact, <laughs> the reality, honestly, that this is not going to work out for her. Not the way she wants to anyway. She can't embrace that. But it, it's, like I said, it's embedded in her character. And I think she does a great job of holding on to that. So the performances make this show very watchable. I think she loves a thrill in the yes. way Marty doesn't. Marty mm -hmm. is, I've gotten myself into this mess. I got to get myself out. I got to save my family. I think, and Wendy is pragmatic, but I think she also likes a thrill. And you see that from the first few episodes of, uh, from the first few minutes of the first episode where she's having this affair and he finds out about it and all of that. Like she, she likes to live dangerously a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what I think uh, is very interesting, even in this most recent uh, season, is that Bateman does such a great job of being true to his character where he really is an accountant and uh, he always just thinks he can think his way out of a problem. So he's like, even when his life is on the line, he can't help himself from trying to figure out like, how do I solve this? And not in a thrilling way, just to be like, mm -hmm. I can do this. I can solve this because he can solve everything. Unlike Lenny's character, who I think brazenly throws herself into situations, saying the wrong thing very oftentimes and putting themselves into circumstances they shouldn't be in because she just is impulsive. And yep. also, like you said, looking for that thrill. So it's interesting it, in where the show, once again, is very strong, is as a metaphor for a marriage itself, where you have the thing that she likes about him is that he balances her because he is the pragmatic and he's the one who's saying to her, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. That is not a pragmatic choice you're making. And she's saying, you have to live a little. And then like you put this marriage dynamic into the most ridiculous circumstance as well <laughs> possible where him being overly pragmatic keeps them in a circumstance they should pull themselves out of many times over because of the risk involved. And he still thinks he can solve this, this puzzle. And meanwhile, on the other hand, she is like being very cavalier and being like that, the, the sentence you just spoke could get you shot in the head. So you probably should, <laughs> you should probably think once more. So it's very funny to see this elevated <laughs> marriage mm -hmm. dynamic. But those are all the things I like about the show. All the things I don't like about the show, I can sum up in one word, but I'm going to start with more granularly. One is there's just too much plot. And this is another thing I complain about on these shows we've been covering, where this is such a self-inflicted wound. There is no reason to have 10 different dramas going on at the same time, especially because the show is a binge. The show is a binge on Netflix. Right. Why do we need to have eight things going at once when any one of these eight things could get them killed? One is enough. <laughs> and if they were pulling it off brilliantly, like these things were all dovetailing together, but I feel like they often let these plates drop while they're spinning or just forget mm -hmm. about them completely. So if they were pulling off this magic trick, I wouldn't criticize them for it because they're like, wow, look at how they unlock that puzzle box at the end. That's not what they're doing. I feel like they oftentimes write themselves into a corner and they're like, I guess we have to ignore those five other things we brought up this season because we don't have space for it. I'm like, you did that yourself. <laughs> There's no reason you're doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's my one criticism. But my biggest criticism here, I say in one word, Darlene. <laughs> <laughs> I literally dropped off this show. And by the way, everybody, we're spoiling the first three seasons of the show, only the first three seasons. But I dropped off the show in that final episode where Darlene like shoots the drug dealer. And I'm like, all right, wh where are we going with this now? Like how much more heightening do we need to do? And then that the show writes itself into this corner where not only does Darlene get away with that, <laughs> 
But that Darlene gets away with everything. Everybody's problems on that show could be resolved by someone shooting Darlene. And <laughs> they don't for, because of reasons. There's no reason why she's still alive. There's no reason at all. It's crazy. So that's mine in a nutshell. <laughs> Darlene is my problem with that show. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. And I don't have any particular fondness for her character. And I especially in the third season, found her character fairly disturbing with the romantic relationships that get involved there. And uh, I get it. And I don't disagree. In my mind, I'm like, okay, they aren't, they're not offing her because she's protected by her husband, right? Right. So they're like, okay. But now, once again, we're spoiling the first three seasons, the husband's off the table. So why is she protected? They need the opium. As a matter of fact, though, they don't need the opium because they burn <laughs> their fields <laughs> rather than let them uh, have it because they're afraid of the whole thing going up in flames. No joke. No, <laughs> no pun or pun, uh -huh. I should say. But that they end up like basically saying, don't grow the, <laughs> we're going to burn your opium field. So I'm like, okay, so the opium's not the catch. And then, of course, but she's protected by the mob. Protected by the mob, and then she goes after Frank Jr. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the all the people who supposedly are protecting her, they're no longer on the table. And everybody just keeps letting her get away with it. And I know you haven't gotten as far into season four as I have, so I won't spoil anything for you. But I'm like, there's a couple of times where like, like come on, what the, <laughs> what the hell? Like, why are you just like wagging your finger at her? I'm like, or pull out your gun. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, Dar Darlene is such a huge problem. Yeah. I, I get where you're coming from and I can't argue with it. So a few things I wanted to ask you about. And like I said, I have now caught up on the show and I did enjoy watching it, by the way, despite all these criticisms and even annoyances, it's just so fast paced and there's just so much happening all the time. And there is enough of character for me to hang on to that um, I shouldn't say I like any of these characters because <laughs> that's actually going to be the point I'm going to bring up to you. I, it's, it, I relate enough to the, the decisions they make, I should say, that I, it keeps me compelled. And of course, the plot itself is just so breakneck, unlike other shows where you're waiting for something to happen. This is constantly mm -hmm. happening. But the first thing I was going to say is these people are so incredibly selfish. <laughs> They're so unbelievably <laughs> selfish. And uh, the question I had for you is, I know that you had mentioned how you didn't find, you couldn't find anyone to sympathize with in succession, right? So yeah. who do you sympathize with here? Because I do not sympathize with anybody on this show. <laughs> okay. My decades-long fondness for Jason Bateman. Okay. Sympathize with Jason Bateman. I'm not sure, to be honest, if I am properly capable of drawing the line between him as a person, him as an actor, and Marty Bird. But <laughs> I do sympathize with him. Also, I think not always, but now I sympathize with Ruth. Okay, yes, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we have seen a lot of what she's been through in her life and the experiences she's had. And it makes me feel for her as someone who is really trying to survive and trying to leave something better for her family that comes after her. So I, I want to see good things happen for Ruth, I think, yeah. even though her tactics are not necessarily the wisest all the time. I feel like they have shown us so much of her character that I, I get it and I get where she's coming from. So there's that. And I think uh, this is more of a tangential character, maybe. I, I think you've seen more of season four than I have. But Maya, the FBI agent, I also mm. am very concerned about at this moment. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would say in general, I'm, but that's where my criticisms come in as well. Just the decision to have Maya be pregnant. I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> that baby's not going to make it. Yes. <laughs> that's like a threat immediately with the show. It's like that baby's yes. dead. There's nothing you can do. Yes. <laughs> so, it, which I bothers me, by the way, a little bit of that fatalism of the show. I do agree that I do have some sympathy for these tangential characters that are pulled into this, like, death vortex that they create around themselves but that's part of my irritation with them I, that's why i cannot sympathize with jason bateman and laura linney or the birds in general is because i agree that some of these tangential characters are being pulled into this uh, death spiral against their will in some cases because they're not aware of everything that's happening but then they're the ones who are pulling them in and uh, and that's my irritation and i know this isn't the show <laughs> but my constant thought in my mind is these parents could force the kids into witness protection with the FBI and basically not let the kids make a decision because they're kids and just uh, abandon them <laughs> in a way where uh, they are said, like, we're off the table. Like, you can't come with us. We're, we're gone. And then put them into some kind of custody to protect them as well. Hold yeah. on. Why is the FBI going to offer them witness protection unless they're going to give them information in return that's going to endanger Marty and Wendy. But they could disappear their kids, like basically put the kids into some kind of witness protection against their will. And then Marty and uh, Wendy can potentially risk their own lives to get some piece of damning evidence. He has access to the books that would potentially minimally cut off the money supply to this, you know, drug organization. So he could do that. And then, of course, his head is going to be chopped off unless there's some kind of protection. But they literally want him to go work for him so he can they can change his identity and he can go work for the FBI just to be like an auditor of some kind, right? I agree the whole family could go into witness protection. Right. I don't agree that you could send the kids into that without basically signing your own death warrant, which some parents would be willing to do, but maybe these parents are not. Theoretically, to your point, yeah, they can all go into witness protection. I, I don't have a problem with that either in the plot. I just feel like they are so selfish in just still trying to believe. And maybe this is legitimately the criticism that's being made in the show. And that remains to be seen. It's a frustration as I watch it, but maybe that's the point the show is trying to make, that these people are making these incredibly selfish decisions because they think like they're going to be okay, that they're like impervious to this, that they keep putting themselves in higher and higher risk, endangering their friends, endangering anyone who are these innocents around them, and of course, endangering their children. And they're doing this all for purely selfish reasons, but they're not aware of selfishness. It's what's inferred in Breaking Bad, and maybe that's not a fair parallel, but I'll bring it up anyway, because this show is obviously heavily indebted to Breaking Bad. But I'd say that's another criticism I have of the show, is that this show makes manifest, like shoves in your face, everything thematic that was subtly in the background of Breaking Bad, right? Like the fact that Walter's really doing this for himself, that he's, you know, that he doesn't want to lose, that he has this chip on his shoulder for having missed out on that money initially. And it's not something that's shoved in your face in that show. It's something you have to think about. This show just puts it all in front of you, <laughs> kid, and, and repeatedly. So I like this. I, I prefer the subtlety. That's my personal taste. I prefer the subtlety. Another analogy I can't help but make, especially when you see season four, is to Better Call Saul, which there's a lot of parallels to what happens in Better Call Saul. Which Star. is, by the way, one of the best shows on TV right now. And I exactly. can't wait for it to come back. I totally agree with that as well. And I was just, that's my criticism too, is that they are obviously looking at Breaking Bad. They are obviously looking at Better Call Saul and they're integrating elements from that. 
And they're saying like, what if Better Call Saul all happened in one season? <laughs> so <laughs> that's what they're doing. So, Or what if in Breaking Bad, the whole family was in on it and yeah, not exactly. just Walter White? And that everything that happens in Breaking Bad, literally to the end, where all the cards are, in, it's all there. You have the neo-Nazis who are in on the drug deal and beginning to a war with the um, Mexicans and stuff like that. It's all happening <laughs> in this show. It's just happening mm -hmm. at a much, much more accelerated pace. So it, I don't think it's unfair for me to make this comparison as a better example of this because they are obviously influenced heavily by that show. And like I said, it continues with Better Call Saul. If you watch the current uh, season of the show through that there are, they literally are lifting big chunks of what happens in Better Call Saul. And to your point, and we can have this conversation next week when we catch up, but I think Better Call Saul is doing it better because it's allowing you to fill in the blanks that this show is just throwing right at you. Uh, Better Call Saul is definitely more of a slow burn yeah. type of show. Oh, yeah, definitely. The pacing uh, is you know, where I think a lot of people get turned off of Better Call Saul yeah. because it feels like nothing's happening a lot right. of the time. It's, you know, you really have to invest the time in order to get the payoff in that show. Whereas I don't think Ozark is of that model, at least. Oh, I totally agree. But that's yeah. also where I am critical of the show because you have an opportunity because this is a binge rather than Better Call Saul, where you have to literally tune in week to week. Although I think the vast majority of people who have watched Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul have binged it on Netflix, strangely <laughs> enough. So mm -hmm. I think as a binge, I think that Better Call Saul, for example, would probably not feel that slow because you get to knock out that half season pretty quickly, as opposed to here where it's, once again, I find it very strange with the pacing that you have such a giant event will happen every single episode. And you're like, to what point? I can watch the next episode. You don't have to keep me on the hook, but this Maybe, is- Maybe, but I will say my personality type, I don't know if I would binge a slow burn show. I might be like, what? what's happening here? I'm just losing the entire day. <laughs> watching not much of anything happen. I don't know. I think I need that show to be week to week rather than just uh, sitting watching slow moving action for my entire day. But see, that's interesting. For example, my nephews cannot watch Better Call Saul week to week because too little happens, but they love Better Call Saul, but they binge it. They have to binge it. They will not watch it week to week. Interesting. So what I'm curious about with you is because you mentioned how you need stuff to happen to keep you engaged. Why does Better Call Saul work for you on a week-to-week -week basis when it really is? So you're talking about a slow burn. Yeah. You're waiting for a payoff. You have to wait five, six, seven episodes. You get a huge no. payoff. Eventually, they get you. And that's what's great about it. It's like almost like a suspense movie where the suspense comes from. You don't know when the, the hit is going to come, which I think is great because it keeps everything in tension because you don't know what when things are going to go wrong, basically, it could happen at any moment, really. And it usually doesn't come all the time. And The Sopranos did this too, by the way. People forget that there's probably been more murders on Ozark in the first season than there was in total <laughs> on this whole nine seasons of The Sopranos. But I guess things have changed over time as well, patience as well. My point is, how does Better Call Saul work for you in that way? That's a great question. And now we're detouring into Better Call Saul, but... <laughs> Actually, okay. so I was very late to Breaking Bad and binged it, I think, after it was over, actually. Yeah, a lot of people did I that. I think yeah. there was a time, and I 
I think it was that holiday week between Christmas and New Year's that AMC was marathoning it. And we were having some sort of family issue at the time. Someone had passed away, my husband's family. Our schedules were upside down. We were just very out of sorts. And so I just kept it on that entire holiday week. And I would find myself especially because when your mind is racing, you can't really sleep. I would find myself staying up until 2 a.m., 3 a.m., watching it. And so I inadvertently caught up on it just out of that, not knowing what to do with myself and seeing that and saying, people seem to like this. Let's try this. And even to the point that like once the marathon started, I don't remember what season I joined it in, but I looped back around to season one. And so then I watched season one and two, say like after I had watched the rest of it because I came in halfway through the marathon. Right. So I was excited about Better Call Saul originally. And I think I watched the first two episodes and I thought, yeah, I can't do this. It's not going anywhere for me. It's not working. Right. And actually my coworker said no stick with it. It's really great. And also, because I am a litigator, he said, this is also the most realistic view of being a litigator that I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) So because my coworker directed me back to it, I gave it another chance. And then as they started incorporating elements or characters from Breaking Bad, of course, that kept me interested. I think at that point, I got hooked because I had watched enough that I had seen enough character development that you really did start to care about these characters and want to know more about them. But I originally was not into Better Call Saul at all. And I'm so happy I gave it another chance. Wow, interesting. Uh, it, nothing that's, that brings me up that whole experience you had. I think a lot of people had a similar experience, by the way. And even with Better Call Saul, I know my nephews love Breaking Bad. Uh, especially the younger one. And he started watching A Better Call Saul and then he dropped off. He was like, okay, I'm not going to watch this. And then maybe when it got to the third or fourth season, he then binged the whole thing. And now he loves Better Call Saul. He can't wait for the next season. He literally was the one who's like, oh my God, is Bob Odekirk going to recover? We need another season of Better Call Saul. Yes. <laughs> so uh, all the best to Bob Odekirk. That show is Absolutely. planned for this year. So they, I think they finished shooting it already. So he has recovered luckily. And he's a great actor, by the way, as well. That, for many reasons, we want him to be healthy. But, but primarily, yeah. out of pure selfishness, I want to see the end of this story. Your experience is very similar to other folks, I think. But what's very interesting in what you just said, it makes me think about something completely different, which is I wonder how much of this we can see in the future. We see all these shows on Netflix that give are given one season. They're pretty popular, by the way, because some of these Netflix shows get 20, 30 million viewers. But that's not even a lot anymore on Netflix, right? You need to get 100 million viewers nowadays because they're worldwide to them to be considered your show a hit. And the reason I mention that is because Vince Gilligan in creating Breaking Bad, it was not a hit when it came on. He went to AMC. AMC had nothing else on. So they're like, okay, we'll keep them on. And then, of course, little by little, it got big. Primarily when it started streaming on Netflix, then it exploded by the time that final season finished i think it was the number one show of the week when it, that it played and of course it's even gotten even bigger afterwards on netflix it's always one of the best streaming shows on netflix so it continues to pick up new viewers and repeat viewers as well but then they put on better call salt and similarly people tuned in at the beginning of that show and by the end of the first season the ratings were way off it was not breaking bad 
Vince Gilligan had intentionally been like, I am not making Breaking Bad again. I don't blame him for that. Right. No, I'm, I'm giving him it, credit for this. Sense. Yeah, I'm giving him credit for that. And uh, what I think is fascinating is that he basically said, I'm not doing this. But of course, he had this great relationship with AMC and all the money they had made off of Breaking Bad. So they're like, no, we will stick by you, even if the show's not doing well. And the second season did even worse. But then over time, on uh, Better Call Saul has picked up steam. And now it's one of the best, most popular shows on cable. And my concern is, do we live in a world anymore where anyone has that kind of patience? And when I say anyone, I don't mean the viewers, which possibly is a problem. But what studio head, like Netflix, for example, mm -hmm. or HBO Max, is going to give a show a green light and say, yeah, the ratings are terrible now, but maybe in three years it'll turn into a hit. Right. I don't know if there's that kind of patience anymore, which is a problem because I think we wouldn't have Breaking Bad and we wouldn't have Better Call Saul if it wasn't for that kind of thinking, right? Yeah, people are going to want to cut their losses when there are so many other projects that want to be made. Yeah, especially when you have like 400 pilots this year, 400. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's nuts. And then when you include re returning shows, I think it's like 700 shows. It's impossible to even get close to watching any of this stuff. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And listen, I, I'm part of the problem. I always say my attention span is so short. If I don't get hooked, I'm out. And that's how I felt about Better Call Saul. It's only because I kept hearing how good it was and because my one specific coworker urged me to reconsider it. And also, I was formerly a class action litigator. So once the class action aspect got involved, I was really hooked, right. which is not going to be applicable to the vast majority of people who are watching. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so another thing I forgot to circle back on that I will go all the way back to what I did like about Ozark is even though this is very heavy handed, by the way, and still where this is just a matter of taste. So my preference for shows like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, which ironically, once again, I think if people were watching Breaking Bad 10 years ago, 10, not 10 years ago, that's when it was on the air, but 10 years before it was on the air, people would have thought like that show is too over the top. And now it's so sedate <laughs> compared to uh, what we see nowadays. But what I would say is it's a little heavy handed, but I do think that there's something thematically interesting in the show that it, it is actively exploring. And one thing is uh, this commentary on capitalism in general, right? So it's this idea that as long as you're making money, everything you do is okay. And it's it really feels like that is partially, first of all, that money makes people do terrible things to each other, even people who have all these other, you know, uh, reasons to not murder each other, to say the least, that money somehow enables all of this. And there's definitely an active criticism of that. But beyond that, there's also, I think, a an interesting investigation of the sociopathy of being in a family, that basically once you have this family unit, that you don't care what the consequences of your actions are, because now your, your pivot has happened. And I don't know if you saw this in the most recent episode, but it's not a spoiler. At one point, one of the characters says to Laura Linney's character, to Wendy, that her mother had told her that being a mother makes you selfish. <laughs> and Wendy responds saying, it just makes you change your priorities. I think the show is saying that at some point you get to a level of, in other words, the family unit becomes an excuse for you to do anything you need to do to preserve the family unit and uh, to this show to an extreme, right? Interesting. Huh. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that it's investigating these things, but I bring it up specifically because <laughs> we're going to take another tangent into another show at, at the end here. I was thinking of having us, I don't know if I cut this out, but I want to talk to you about it anyway, because it's just interesting and maybe I'll include it, maybe I won't. But the reason I uh, 
brought that part up is because it made me think about this week also, or last week, I should say, not this week, last week, I watched the Servant show, the M. Night Shyamalan show on Apple Plus. Yes, which I have not seen. Yeah. Which I don't recommend, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially for you because you don't like supernatural stuff. Uh, yeah. But the reason I bring it up is because it made me think about what would make me recommend Ozark over that is because at least Ozark is about something beyond the machinations of the plot. And uh, it's my criticism of Servant and why I wouldn't recommend it. It seemed like such a good thing for us to watch. We have the M. Night Shyamalan, you know, history together. And mm-hmm. we sure do. And they have the thriller aspect to it. And it's half an hour. And it's on Apple, Apple Plus, so like very convenient to like two half-hour shows. Pretty easy to knock those out. And they drop on the same day, but once again, Apple drops everything on Friday. So very easy to watch an hour of TV and watch both of these shows and knock it out. So I'm like, this would be the most convenient thing for us to do. But I couldn't recommend it to you and even to myself because the premise of the show is that, I forget the actress's name, she played the daughter in Six Feet Under. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and never said that show, but I know you mean Lauren Ambrose. Yes, yes, one? that's right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah. Lauren something. But uh, so she's the mother, and uh, their child has passed away recently. So the child passed mm-hmm. away very recently, and she has one of these surrogate dolls, mm-hmm. and her husband have this doll, and the, and she treats it like it's an actual child. The husband is like not having it. So like when she's around, he like treats it like a baby, but when she's not around, he just like, throws it on the floor. He's disgusted by having to pretend his son is still alive. Yeah, I'm with him. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So all so far, so good. She's a TV news anchor, and he is a guy who, I don't even know what he is. He's like some kind of tastemaker, and he makes a dish. Every episode has a dish name in it, and there is uh, these fancy dishes he makes with some kind of exotic ingredient, which gets shipped to his house, but he basically never leaves the house. He's like making these meals for, I don't know, for restaurant tours or for somebody. He's like someone famous at, he's got a very famous palate or something weird like that. Very unrelatable, both of their careers, basically. And he never leaves the house, basically. On the show, I think it started before COVID, but it very much feels like a COVID show. I know they shot the last two seasons during COVID because they're uh, you know inside the house all the time and he watches her on TV. So it almost feels like the show literally feels like it all be happening inside of his head. That's how claustrophobic it is. And uh, so there's this weird setup, and it's not a spoiler, only spoil the first episode. So they hire a nanny to watch the doll. This uh, is getting so upsetting. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. They hire a nanny. She's strange. She's in the Midwest. We don't know anything about her history, but she's very sweet. And she, like, adores the doll, treats it like an actual baby. And he's like, look, she's not here. You can go here. Just get on the bus and go watch a show in Midtown or whatever. And she's like, no, who's going to watch the baby? And he's like, you don't have to pretend. I'm, you know, she's not around, but she keeps treating it like it's a real baby. And then one day he, she finally goes, she wants to take a break. And he goes, I can watch the doll. He's just like playing along. I'll watch the baby and you can go out and get some ingredients for me. And here's some extra money. Just go watch a movie or something. She's like, okay, I think I'm going to take the rest of the day off. And then when she leaves, he hears a baby cry on the baby monitor and he goes up to see the crib and there's an actual baby inside the crib. Okay. <laughs> so that's the setup of the show. That's the pilot episode. My criticism of the show at this point is that's pretty intriguing. How's that? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. First of all, conveniently, they have told nobody that they are. And if I do include this in the episode, by the way, everybody, I'm going to spoil like the first season, not the second season. I'll spoil the first season of the show only. If you want to follow along, I do not recommend it, by the way. 
<laughs> Unless anything I've got to tell you, as crazy as it is, sounds interesting. Not my speed, though. So anyway, the crazy thing about it is that then this happens. And conveniently, the baby has died, but they have told nobody. They told nobody that the child has died. And so nobody knows Wait, about this. Except baby for, or second baby? I'm sorry? First baby or second baby? Nobody knows. Yeah, everybody. Nobody knows that their actual baby has passed away. Nobody. Okay. So, uh, except for her brother, who's played by Rupert Grint, who was like one of the Harry Potter kids, and uh, who has like uh, a British accent, is trying to hide on the show. Very strange because it's just he obviously has one, but anyway, it's not. Anyway, so he is the only one who knows about this. So you're like, wow, is this all really just happening in the father's head? This is just happening in his head. But the very next episode, he calls up his, you know, brother-in-law. And the brother-in-law shows up and uh, that's a real baby. <laughs> so it's like, okay, it's not all happening. He said, and he's, like, she must have stolen the baby. We have to like look on the news for abducted children because she probably stole the kid. And then this draws on for, over the course of the first season. There, it's this whole, is the kid real? Did they abduct someone else's kid? Are they going to keep the kid because they can't find anybody? Like the police department's not looking for any kids that match the description. So are they going to keep this? Because and then we find out more about the girl's background. Anyway, so this gets weirder and weirder. And then you're like, maybe there's some kind of child abduction. But halfway through the first season, a bird, their bird dies in the house. And she starts to self-flatulate in her room. She starts to whip her back. And the bird comes back to life. <laughs> this is the girl, the nanny girl. And But the, the show gets crazier than that. At one point, the baby goes back to being a doll. And then the dad's freaking out because he's like still believing this could be someone else's kid. And he's like, oh my God, where'd the kid go? But the wife is still treating it like it is the baby because she's like somehow convinced herself that the doll was the baby initially. So when it became a real baby, it was just like there's continuity in her mind somehow. Anyway, so the whole thing is so bananas. And then it gets just crazier and crazier. So anyway, going all the way back to why I brought it up to comparing it to the Ozark show that pretty much within the four first four or five episodes of this show servant that the show becomes about the crazy mythology of the show like what's her background her uncle shows up he has he needs her to be in this cult with them to you know they resuscitate animals or something and it's like and then like all of a sudden like little by little people are like showing up in front of the house and they're like, you can't leave because maybe the baby will turn back into a doll. And the point is that like the show becomes about nothing other than this crazy mythology that they're building. And they don't tell you what the mythology is. So you're like, who is she really? Is she like the, is she a demon? Is she uh, a saint, an angel? Like, you know, is whatever. And like, that's all the show is about. Like from week to week is playing this teasing out like what this mythology might be and it's not about anything anymore when it started off about these parents that are like what kind of lies will you tell yourself to deal with the fact that your child passed away which is you know compelling but now they not only season three just started which i'm not watching by the way but they have they just confirmed they're going to have a fourth season too and i'm like how can you drag this on for two more seasons like, what is happening on this show so anyway, I could not recommend this at all. And but it's an example, by the way, of an M. Night Shyamalan problem where it's like he has a concept, the concept is compelling, and then he gets lost in the concept and it's not about anything anymore. And, I, and so that's my Yeah. Listen, this guy must be stopped. It's too much. <laughs> Did you see old? Have you watched old? No, I refuse. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't watch old. Don't watch old. But here's no you problem. know what? What's fascinating about old, by the way, and I'm not going to review it here, but 
what's fascinating about it is that he is such a good filmmaker. He really is. Very talented guy. Yes. He is like a really good filmmaker. Old has these surprising reveals, the way he has the camera pan around 360 degrees and everybody's reacting to something that's on the and like the camera's just spinning and spinning and you're seeing things changing off camera. And it's very clever the way he uses like a camera movement to build suspense and all this stuff. Such a talented guy from the perspective of being a visual storyteller. And he gets caught up in these stupid puzzles that make no sense at all. And I don't understand why. Like, like the simpler he keeps it, if old was like, honestly, the worst thing about old is the explanation of what's happening. If the story was just about this family trapped on a beach and they have no idea why this is happening to them and it becomes a metaphor for dying, which is really what the show movie should be about. It's Mm -hmm. fine. But then we got to solve the puzzle of what's happening. It's just, let's just have these great actors, by the way, a stellar cast dealing with this crazy thing that's happening to them as a family, like this family that is like basically falling apart suddenly brought together by this horrible circumstance because guess what we're all getting older <laughs> anybody can relate to the circumstance we don't need all the other stuff but the show become the film becomes about all the other stuff that nobody cares about it's so infuriating yeah i wonder at, at a production level or i'm not sure the right word for it nobody wants to tell him no because he's no. so talented i don't know obviously he needs someone to rein him in. at this point he is producing his own movies He's made enough. Well, there you have it. You know, that, that, and that's the problem, right? Because his films oftentimes fail. But yeah. even something like Old, by the way, that came out during the pandemic and you know was shot on a beach during COVID, didn't cost a lot of money, and made over $100 million worldwide. So it's definitely financially successful. As long as he makes money for people, he can make whatever he wants. <laughs> I think people have got to stop watching his movies like he did, by the way, a few years ago. They stopped watching his films. And then he made the one with the multiple personalities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see that one? That was pretty good, actually. No, I had already turned against him by that point. That was a good one. You could skip the rest, yeah. but that was a good one, actually. Okay. But let me return yeah. to one thing. Yes, please do. Just to keep my own running commentary about the timeline of shows that we watch. Yeah. Uh, in Ozark, <laughs> right. I'm not sure how much time has elapsed here. <laughs> right. But obviously, a lot of time has elapsed in the real world. Yes. And this kid, Jonah, is going to be six foot four by the end of the show. That's, <laughs> that's all I want on the record because he has grown so much during the time they've been filming this. It is unbelievable. I think there was a point last season where they tried to have him seated a lot so it wouldn't be that obvious. <laughs> right. But just in the couple of episodes I've seen this season, this is this kid's growing like a weed. Th- that is hilarious. And I forgot to bring it up, but absolutely correct. And I did not even think about that, how compact the show is until mm-hmm. I was watching one of those uh, YouTube videos where they do the timeline of the show, just like mm-hmm. you know, straight in my head before we start season four. And uh, it basically, like you said, it's just like this happens. They start with the flashback, which is like 10 years earlier, but then it's. Now, this happens March of uh, 2018, I think it is, uh, in the time frame of the show. And season two basically happens that summer. (laughs) And then it's like season three happens. And then presumably season four picks up immediately from season three. So we're like a year into this. And to your point, it's like the kid is a full foot taller. (laughs) So the kid grew a foot in a year, supposedly. Yeah. 
And they put a marker down in this most recent episode that I watched. I'm on the second episode right now, but I'm going to try and catch up fast. That he's 14 years old, which is not the time a kid would be having a growth spurt. So, okay, let's go with that. But I just find it very funny from a real world perspective that they're trying to (laughs) just act. Sure, this is normal. (laughs) Six foot tall, 14 year old. He he could be in the NBA. It's not the first time that would happen. It could happen. It could happen. (laughs) Him and uh, Iverson from Succession right. can, can go. <laughs> It'll be New York versus Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> a quick question for you, because you're only on a sep- episode two. Have you met Javi yet on the show? Oh, yeah. He was in the first episode, actually. Oh, he's in the first episode. Okay. I didn't remember if he showed up in the first or in the second. Yeah. Yeah. What an interesting character. Yes. And we'll save this for next week, because I, I correlate Javi, once again, talking about how they are definitely watching Better Call Saul. Javi is the Lalo of this show, I think, to a large extent. And a very different experience of those two characters. And that's something I want to talk about next week once you've caught up. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I do like him a lot. He's really good in this in this uh, season, this half season, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> All right. So that's that. Everybody, make sure to watch The After Party this week. Everybody can watch it, by the way. Like I said, those first episodes, first one or two episodes on Apple Plus are always free. So you can watch it on any device or even just on the website. You don't even need to have an Apple device to watch it. So everybody can watch this week. And I hope you guys do tune in and uh, get a subscription or activate a free subscription. Anybody can get a free subscription. It's only for a week, though. So you might want to binge it at the end. So if that's the the route you go, then make sure you download our episodes and sock them away somewhere (laughs) and listen to them all at the end. (laughs) I doubt anyone will do that. But anyway, (laughs) you uh, you can binge it at the end. And everybody gets a free seven day subscription to that. But if you do have any other Apple services, it is probably cheaper to get a bundle and upgrade. So consider that as well. And obviously, I know hundreds of millions of people got new Apple devices this Christmas. You have a free three-month subscription to this for free. You just have to activate it. So wait until next week and then activate it, and you can watch along with us. Drop us an email, anybody. Need some introduction at gmail.com. And uh, check our catalog. More music episodes coming. I've been having... Oh, and by the way, so I didn't tell you this, but my co-host for the music episodes, Ian, him and his wife have COVID. They went to a funeral and got COVID. I shouldn't laugh, but as a recently recovered Omicron (laughs) person, I I get it. Oh, they got it at a funeral, did you say? They guessed it happened at a funeral because they're pretty sheltered up in Vermont. Also, in Vermont, the case count is pretty low, but they went to a funeral, and that's probably the only thing they had where there's a large gathering of folks. He had been boosted. His wife had not been boosted. He had been boosted, and he says he doesn't even know he's sick. His wife, meanwhile, is in bed, so she's having a worse time of it. So. Well, listen, I am as pro-vaccine and booster as they come, but they help you. <laughs> we're triple boosted, and we both were not fine. <laughs> Imagine you had been boosted, right? And that we were not in the hospital, right, but right. we were not fine. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so if there's any public service announcement there, folks, is um, do get boosted because you might say, hey, we got COVID anyway. It's like the people who are boosted are not getting hospitalized. And unfortunately, my wife, by the way, works in the hospital. And this is terrible to say, but the folks who are dying now are not 75 years old. She lost a 29-year-old pregnant mother, never saw her child. Very oh, sad story. Yeah, terrible. Yes. And, uh, and there's people in their 40s, people in their 50s. There was like a bodybuilder who was a firefighter in his 50s who basically like, hey, I listened to Joe Rogan. I don't have to vaccinate. My body will protect me. And he died. He's 55 years old. 
very healthy, right. no underlying conditions. So get vaccinated, get boosted. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, it's no joke. So and Omicron is very mild for people who are vaccinated. Not as mild among people who are not vaccinated. So don't yeah. let the numbers fool you. The reason the numbers are so much lower is because eighty percent of the population is vaccinated <laughs> to some extent. So that's why the numbers right. are lower, not because it doesn't kill you. It still kills. You. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that positive note, <laughs> numbers are getting lower though, much faster. So everyone got sick very quick, and hopefully, yeah. But like I said, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, still. Get vaccinated. There will be other variants. It's going to happen again. So get vaccinated. <laughs> That's how we end these. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe so you can get more COVID updates. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Sona, for the conversation. For <laughs> anytime, looking forward to next week. <laughs> Take care. Bye.